Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car... Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. I don't hear you guys talking about any big money ideas. That so you... one of the things I'm actually, to that point, one of the things that I'm really proud about in this budget is how balanced the budget was. Not just by way of revenues and expenses, obviously you want a balanced budget, but by way of the policy decisions that we made in approaching what was a very large gap. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman, and we have double our pleasure today. We have two women who are heading up the finance team for Mary Lori Lightfoot, Jenny Huang Bennett and Susie Park, the budget director. So Jenny's the CFO. Susie is the budget director. Is it my imagination or a woman taking over finance? Because Rahm Emanuel had women on his finance team, and so does Lori Lightfoot. What's happening? I'm not sure if women are taking over finance, but we're very <laughs> right. excited about it. And yeah. obviously, it's a great development to see more women in the industry. Um, not always, has, has not always been the case. Uh, and so, obviously, a good development. Yeah. And uh, it was a macho field, wasn't it, Susie? Uh, I mean, you know, it, we have an excellent team myself, Jenny, Rashma, um, Sony, who's also the comptroller. Uh, so, you know, it's been great. And like Jenny said, I think, um, you know, it's wonderful working with everyone in our team. So do women bring a different perspective to budgeting? I don't know. I think that, uh, you know, my experience is that we've had we've had a really great collaborative experience at the city. Um, I think that uh, the collaboration has been great. I don't know if you can attribute that to being women, women. or not, um, but uh, I've really enjoyed working with the team. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of experience with women in my previous experience at CPS. Um, Wall Street is obviously a more male-dominated field. Um, what but- happens when you go in to pitch the bond rating agencies? Um, a lot of the women, uh, a lot of the professionals in, at the rating agencies are also women. And so I haven't really, I guess, you know, experienced a women versus male dynamic when mm-hmm. it comes to the conversations that we have. Um, but obviously having more women in the field is encouraging. Uh, uh, you know, always like to encourage mentorship of women in, in the field of finance where we haven't historically seen that kind of presence. And when we see the investors conferences, those seem to all be men. Pretty much, right, Susie? There are there were a lot of men, I think, um, you know, from what I saw. But again, to Jenny's point, I don't know if it's like a men versus women thing. You know, the previous two budget directors before me were also women, um, right? I but think the investors, Wall Street has been so macho. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot more men on Wall Street, but we also have a lot of women in the field now. A lot of the municipal rating analysts at our bond investors are women. Um, Our uh, largest investors have a lot of women as their key credit analysts and portfolio managers. And so 
again, just very excited to see more women in the field. So let's talk about Wall Street now. Moody's came out with a report this week that mm-hmm. said that Chicago and Detroit are the least least prepared cities for another downturn, another economic downturn like the one we had 10 years ago because of the crushing pension obligations and the very extraordinarily high fixed costs. What did you think of that report? Sure. So Mm -hmm. a couple of things. One is we have done a fair amount of analysis related to how recession-proof the city of Chicago is. When you take a look at the revenue streams for the city um, in the last Great Recession in 2008, the total reduction in the revenues was around 2%. It's not to say that the city doesn't have economically sensitive revenues. There were some revenue streams that saw double-digit declines, um, in particular sales taxes, for example. But the city also has a number of revenue sources which make up the majority of its revenue sources that are less economically sensitive, like? um, property, tax be, property taxes being mm-hmm. one of them. And when I say less economically sensitive, I say that in two respects. One is the revenue source may just be less economically sensitive, but also certain of our revenue sources lag by way of um, a, uh, the impact of a recession. And so if a recessionary analysis is a lar- in large part about timing. Um, it's about whether or not your revenues and expenses can adjust um, to the timing of an economic downturn. And we took a look at the revenue sources, and clearly we have an ability to weather that type of um, that type of uh, in, an impact. In a, uh, one other thought on that too. In addition to that, um, another place where a recession may impact the city's finances is on pensions and, and the investments. Sure, and because that's where, their returns will go down. Exactly, mm-hmm. which would then increase our contribution. We've also done sensitivity analyses related to that, and the budgetary impact isn't. Um, it, it, it's a number, and it's a number that we would have to recover um, um, in the budget. But it's also not something that is so material that we couldn't find a way to recover in a in a four and a half billion dollar operating budget. So how right. would you recover, Susie? What would you do in a recession? I mean, I think you know, as Jenny was talking about, we do have a diverse portfolio of our revenues. Um, we'd also look at our expenditures, you know, and really take a look at the timing. We do quarterly. Um, reports to see how our revenues are coming in against our expenditures, and I think it would be no different um, in that case as we really look tie our expenditures to that revenue and to see how those are coming in. But we do have a diverse portfolio and you know a diverse range of revenue. So to Jenny's point, I think um, you know it's something that we could weather. And but you the- can't quarrel with extraordinarily high fixed cost. That's a fact. Yeah, and it's not yeah. new, and it's something that we have been struggling with. Um, just How do you bring it down? So we have we have been working towards that, and the city has um, made a lot of progress in that respect. Right. Um, one of the things that the Moody's report focuses a lot on is the total amount of pension liabilities, which is really a balance sheet issue. It's not a revenue and expense issue. Um, it's liability that's the totality of the liability that the city faces. Bigger than any city in the nation. Which is very large, um, but in, in a governmental entity that that has a very large liability, but no way to pay that liability, is a very, in a very different financial position than a, an issuer who has a very large liability and has found a way to pay for it in a structural way in its budget. And that's where I think the city of Chicago has really made a difference, um, especially over the last number of years, in finding solutions to 
climb the pension ramp and to be able to start paying for its pension liabilities. There's the half a billion dollar property tax levy that was put in place over the last number of years. Mm -hmm. In fiscal year 20, in the budget that we just passed, um, the pen we've climbed the police and fire pension ramp. For the first time in the city's history, they're on an actuarially calculated um, uh, contribution. And we have a plan towards addressing that for fiscal year 2023 when we have to climb the municipal the labor. The plan ramp. is the casino. There's the casino. But you don't have it yet. And we're working towards that. So in the veto session, a lot of work uh, was done and a lot of progress made in packaging a revised tax structure on the casino. We're going to pursue that again in January. We're confident that we'll be able to make some more progress on that. Because um, the governor needs it. And the governor also has been very helpful in, in, in supporting it as well. Well, he needs it, right, for his for his capital plan, right, right, right. Susie? Yes, uh, it is part of the capital, the state's capital plan. So, you know, it is a benefit for both the state and the city. But you're in the middle of this scandal, and you have Terry Link, who is one of the prime movers on casinos, who uh, is alleged to have been the uh, one of the people in the scandal with uh, Marty Sandoval. I mean, rather, uh, uh, the other. Uh, lawmaker and I, I don't know why his name escapes me but the point being the scandal has really cast a cloud over this whole thing and i think that uh you know in terms of legislation the city will has and will have to do a lot of work to put a pack uh, a proposal together that makes sense to legislators um we are looking to uh, propose a structure that will support the state overall uh, the casino in Chicago would bring back $240 million in revenues from Indiana back to the state to the point you made. It supports the vertical capital bill. Um, it supports the city of Chicago's pensions as well as a broader economic development strategy. So there are a lot of reasons why it's a proposal that just makes sense. And to your point, there are ethics issues that are there. They're going to continue to be there. Um, but we are working to try to convince legislators that it really is just a proposal that makes sense. And despite what may be going on around it, that um, that it would help support the state and help support the city. But let's talk about the fixed cost. The fixed costs have to, a lot to do, of course, everything to do with labor. Mm -hmm. And you have police and fire contracts unresolved. Mm -hmm. You only budgeted one8 percent for the p police pay raise according to the city council's office of financial analysis where is the money going to come from when you have a union that's going to arbitration with a demand for a three-year pay raise of 18 percent so um the 1.8 percent i think that kofa uh, is the report you're referencing i mean we did actually budget for the increase for our uh, sergeants lieutenants and captains because that actually um, was ratified the economic package so that actually was in the budget we actually did um, place some additional funding uh, in the budget for if if any portion of either local two or fop um, were so how much did you put in there for them um, clearly not enough for 18 percent you know we don't really know where everything is going to land um, so, you know, what we did is try to be uh, responsible and set aside some money uh, without really knowing what percentage that How we much? think this is going to, you know, because uh, I know it's in negotiation, so it's not something I want to, you know, uh, it's certainly not enough for retro pay and all their demands. I think we really need to see kind of where this is going to land. Um, you know, it is still in negotiation. So, you know, I don't want to assume what that percentage is. Um, but, we, you know, we do want to start thinking about And one of the things that we worked on with this budget is to start thinking about, 
you know, setting aside some funds so that if any portion of it came in 2020, then we have some funding set aside for that. But retro pay is going to be well over $100 million, more probably. It's been almost three years since they got their last pay raise. So, um, you know, looking at where we think that's going to land, again, it, de- it depends on the percentage, um, you know, and the timing also of mm-hmm. when, you know, either FOP or local too. I know those negotiations are ongoing. So, you know. We're going to need again, a supplemental property point. tax increase, right? For that? We're working very hard to avoid it. Right. Uh, you saw in the 2020 budget, um, a lot of people were talking about a potential property tax increase. A lot of work went into the last seven months in terms of identifying savings and efficiencies first. Um, is there a directive from the mayor that we do that and, um, and demonstrate that we're being good stewards of taxpayer dollars? And at the end of it, we found $537 million of savings and efficiencies before it is that we did look to other solutions. Um, It's not to say that property taxes aren't off the table, and the mayor said that a number of times, Um, but we are working in a number of different ways, whether it's efficiencies, whether it's legislation in Springfield, um, whether it's uh, other uh, potential new revenue sources to try to avoid a property tax increase. Well, but the mayor struck out in her, not only the casino uh, gambling fix, but also in the real estate transfer tax, the graduated real estate transfer tax that she wants. Meanwhile, the real estate market is really slowed down. And part of that is the uncertainty about assessments, the uncertainty about taxes. But if she doesn't get the graduated income tax, and maybe even if she does, and the police and fire negotiations go in a way that is is too high, you're going to have to go back to the property tax. So I, I would say, I, I, w- I wouldn't characterize her as having struck out. I think that we'd made a lot of progress, especially by way of the casinos. Um, and frankly, veto session's very short. The real work in the veto session right. happens in the last three days. And we know that legislation takes time. And so um, we are going to go back in, in, in the spring session and work at it. It's a longer session. We'll have more time to to be able to collaborate with some of our, our, our partners in Springfield um, and then um, be able to work towards some of those solutions. In addition to that, we also did a lot of work in the last seven months and will continue to do work as it relates to what potential new revenue sources might be. Uh, there um, were some that we weren't able to fully explore as a result of the time frame, but um, because of the work that was done, it's laid the groundwork for what those revenue sources might well, look right, like in the future. All right, talk about some of them. Which ones? Um, so, for example, with relation to congestion. Um, we did put money into the fiscal year 20 to take a look at, a, uh, to have a study to take a look at broader congestion trends within the city, ways that we can um, uh, improve congestion and improve traffic flow. And so that work, um, we think will over time allow mm-hmm. us to create a better construct that is not just about revenue generation, but also good policy, as I'm sure many people in the city of Chicago um, have experienced. We don't have a rush hour, we have a rush day. And so there are reasons why that would make sense. Um, you know, another place that we've been looking at revenues are potential progressive revenue sources. Uh, some of the ideas that were brought up during the town hall meetings, during the aldermanic briefings, um, we're going to take a look at other ways that we can generate. What are revenues. they, Susie? Um, you know, to piggyback onto what Jenny said, I think other things, you know, that get brought up from some of our council members, you know, look, re-looking at some of the user fees. I mean, we started doing our whole user fee analysis, um, but, you know, Alderman Riley has been talking about different, you know, dumpster fees and all those other things that we have across the city and really looking at some of those. I know I mentioned in my uh, hearing that some of them, you know, we haven't looked at in many, many years. So, you know, to continue that progress and now that we have time um, to do a to do more analysis, we're going to start working on that earlier in the year. 
Um, you know, I think the other thing is that we've teed up a lot of stuff, such as our public safety administration, uh, the workers' comp that we've been talking about, some of these initiatives also, um, where we're hoping to gain some efficiencies over this next year. So, But I don't hear you guys talking about any big money ideas. So one of the things I'm actually to that point, one of the things that I'm really proud about in this budget is how balanced the budget was, not just by way of revenues and expenses. Obviously, you want a balanced budget, but by the way of the policy decisions that we made in approaching what was a very large gap. Um, You know, one approach we could have taken was to disproportionately hit one or two different tax bases or or constituencies, which in the end can have detrimental effects to the broader landscape of the city. And so to your point, there isn't one big revenue source, and you didn't see that in the 2020 budget in large Mm -hmm. part because there was a lot of work and a lot of thought into a lot of different places across the city, which the city is a very large um, governmental agency. It's um, it's a four and a half billion dollar operating budget. And, um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for um, for what is really just good governance and good reform measures that we think will generate significant savings over time. Well, the congestion fee starts at $40 million, but that's just the tip of the iceberg of what you could do. And how much could a congestion fee bring in if you were to make it a very broad-based thing and deal with other vehicles, not just rideshare? Sure, it's a great question. I think it's a little too, it's a little early for us to uh, say how much right. could come from it, because importantly, we want to make sure we're marrying the policy aspect of it with the revenue aspect. And frankly, the policy aspect will take priority because it really is, at the end of the day, about building better congestion patterns within the city. And if there's better revenues that come from that, that's great. And that's why with the congestion tax in the 20 budget, there was that um, balance of policy and revenue um, to the extent that we can find that going forward, there's a lot of work that has to happen. There's a lot of stakeholder communication, a lot of analysis, frankly, and also just best practices taking a look at how other cities have done it. But the progressive aldermen, particularly some of the, in the Socialist Caucus, were upset because you you really did not go after the wealthy, the wealthy corporations. They had ideas. They did have suggestions. One of them was the uh, in lieu of fees. Mm-hmm. Um, are you considering some of their ideas? So we are looking at uh, the in lieu of uh, the pilot that a lot of, I know, our progressive aldermen have been talking about. You know, they, that idea came to us, but that is going to take some time to really build that out, to really look at that, um, where it has been successful, the ideas behind that. So we are actually, we are looking at that now. And explain um, to our uh, listeners what that is. And why it's appealing? Uh, so we have nonprofits uh, that are not paying property taxes, um, and so due to that status, and so I think you know one of the things that our progressive aldermen have talked about is that in lieu of not paying them, are there other ways, even at a smaller cost, uh, at a lower fee of some sort, looking at you know what benefit they have to the community, but to to set some type of pay structure, I guess, for, for these entities, such as, you know, universities, hospitals, hospitals, these are all now these are money makers um, that, you know, do have large uh, fu- funding, but, you know, I think there, there's some balance of, you know, the benefit they provide to the community, the services, um, and where that right structure is. So that takes time. Um, it's not something we could have, you know, just come up with, you know, between like July through November. So I think, you know, we are going to take the time to really look at that, work with our progressive aldermen on that idea. And, but you, and see where there's some appeal go. to it. You it's think it's a, right. We want to look at that and to see, you know, 
what other cities have done where it's been successful, um, you know, and how that might look here and to see if that could work. You know, it's something that, uh, you know, I know that our progressive aldermen feel strongly about that it is something that there is something there. So I think uh, we, we do want to look at that. So we are looking at that. And what about their idea to bring back some form of the head tax? So the head tax is difficult. Um, at the end of the day, it's a regressive tax. Uh, it's a tax on employment, and importantly, it's a tax that doesn't adjust based on whether you're a company that makes a lot of income or less income. In fact, for uh, companies- It's an employment tax, really. It's you an pay employment right. tax. Yes. And for and companies- that's a problem. And it may just also disproportionately impact lower income earners. Small businesses. So yeah. smaller businesses, or even large businesses that have a lot of employees tend to have a lower uh, uh, level of income. Um, there are a lot of reasons why it can be difficult and also uh, the reason why a lot of cities have actually uh, either repealed the tax or had very di a very difficult time with keeping the tax. Um, you know, one thing I would also just say is that we are very proud of the fact that the 2020 budget was very progressive. Um, there are a number of ideas that the progressive aldermen brought forth in the discussions that we've had and through some of the proposals that were taken in the 2020 budget. And um, and I feel like, you know, we, we, we want to celebrate that. Um, we did have the They're largest- They're not celebrating. They may not be, but it's it, it was there. There was we had the largest TIF surplus in the city's history. That was one mm -hmm. of the recommendations. Um, the settlements and judgments went into the police budget. That was another recommendation. Um, we have also taken a look at uh, uh, progressive investments in areas which I think we have agreement in, like affordable housing, mental health, anti-violence, um, the census investments that were made. Um, we could we could uh, debate whether or not the investments were enough. Um, but you know, given the fact that we were facing what was the largest uh, gap in the city's history, um, it's an investment that we felt was financially responsible, but demonstrated the values that we hold, which is that these are investments that we'd like to but make. But what other ideas of theirs, other than the in lieu of fees, are you now entertaining? Um, we have taken a look at the in lieu of fees. We are also continuing to take a look at settlements and judgments and how it is that those are managed. I'm talking about their revenue ideas. Um, we then lieu of fees is the main it's one at this one. point, but right. it's not to say that we're not looking at all different types of revenue sources. Um, we get a lot of ideas, and so it takes time to figure out how to implement, how to enforce some of the revenues, um, and you know, taking a look at uh, different ways that that could fit within the broader landscape. How do we compare to other cities for some of these revenues, and mm -hmm. are there places that we could be doing better? The mayor talked about. Uh, she made some mention before the budget was passed about internet sales. Is there anything you can do on that end that you're not doing? And I'm not sure what she mentioned about she sales. she did. I mean, people are buying. They're shopping online. I mean, it, oh, are you talking about yeah. online sales tax? Yeah. Yes. So we we, we have actually that. yeah yeah. So in the fiscal year 2020 budget, uh, there was legislation that was passed in the previous session. Right. In the fiscal year 2020 budget, we have increased the amount of revenues we're expecting from the online sales, mm -hmm. um, and so that 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 is something that we're expecting. Can you do anything locally to raise it further? Uh, sales, sales tax, tax locally is difficult in yeah. terms of broadening the base, which I think is what you're asking for. It would uh, asking about it would it would require state legislation for us to do that. And um, you know, again, we are taking a look at all the different revenue sources, but we have you know at this point identified sort of what our um, main priorities are for Springfield for the spring session. Um, but again, you know, we haven't really taken anything off the table for 2021. Now, if you get the casino you will have the path for police and fire with the ramp that's coming. Mm -hmm. I mean, not the ramp, but the, the spike in payments that's coming. But you have two other funds, labor and municipals, that, uh, that Mayor uh, Emanuel 
established dedicated funding sources for. Mm -hmm. One was the 29.5% tax on water and sewer bills Mm -hmm. for the municipal employees pension fund, which is the Mm -hmm. largest one. And you had two telephone tax increases Mm -hmm. for the laborers. What is your plan for the spike in those payments, those contributions, will both of those taxes need to go up? Sure. So at this point, um, because of the significant increase in police and fire and what will be eventually the significant increase in muni and labor, a fair amount of all four pension fund contributions are being paid for out of the corporate fund. So even though the casino dollars will go towards police and fire, in essence, what it does is it alleviates the burden on the corporate fund. um, And then those corporate fund monies can be available for other purposes, including the muni labor ramp in 2023. Um, so it really ends up being not just about uh, you know uh, casinos for one set of funds and then another. Um, it's about how is it, does it fit within the totality of all of the corporate fund obligations, um, which includes, as you mentioned, the pensions as well as the fixed costs mm-hmm. um, from labor contracts. So will you have to raise those two taxes? Because, I mean, when those taxes were put in, it was almost assumed that those you'd have to go back to those to handle the spike. I think that um, we will need to look at that, but I think to what Jenny said, I think, you know, depending on how that casino and where we... Um, the casino has nothing to session. do with those two funds. So it, what will be the source of money? It doesn't have to do with the two funds, but I think if we get the casino, that is going to be dedicated to police and fire. There are corporate funds right now that are dedicated to police and fire, so that could offset... Not um, enough. Put that Not to, enough. You to know that. Well, actually, so the corporate fund uh, con- contribution to police and fire increased by $277 million this year. Right. Um, if the casino brings in just as much as that, then in essence, that's $277 million that would be corporate available right. of corporate funding that would be available for other purposes in particular for the corporate-funded component of muni labor. And the muni labor ramp increase from the corporate fund is just about as much as that. So, Well, but I think it stands to reason that you're going to have, you're going to need another telephone tax hike and you're going to need to raise that 29.5%. I mean, really. Well, I, the, we believe that in some of the out-year planning that we've done that the combination of the uh, casino, um, real estate transfer tax, and then the host of other revenues that naturally grow over time um, should get us basically to structural balance within three years. Um, we've talked a lot about that publicly, done some internal planning around that. Obviously, we're very early on in the uh, planning. For, really, we just passed the fiscal year 20 budget, right. um, but early on in the planning process for 21. Um, and this is a point uh, yeah, I think is important is that it's not it's not often that um, people have been able to hear from the city this early on what are the plans for 21 22 and 23 um, it's uh, it's uh, a, a level of communication that the mayor felt was really important in how we approach this budgeting process by way of creating more transparency and accessibility. I know but I don't hear you saying what is our plan for the spike in pension payments it's really the casinos and real estate transfer tax and any other new revenues that we could grow over the next number of years and you're telling me that these two sources the telephone tax and the sewer and water tax will not have to be raised i don't know if they will or won't have to be raised it's not in our plan currently and like i said it is fairly early on why wouldn't Um, it be though if those are the two funding sources and and there's a spike don't you go back to the same source now to be clear the telephone tax um was raised to offset 
what is allowable on that telephone tax. I know, but you free it up. So that's how you do it. It's a shell game. It's a back and, you know, you know how that goes. So there would be costs <laughs> on corporate that potentially if there was a raise. Sure. But to Jenny's point, you know, we have looked, you know, as we were working on the 2020 budget, we were hand in hand looking at 2021 and 2022. And right now, you know, we have to kind of, we're early on, so, you know, we'd have to look at that. But the initial plan was, you know, with casino and if real estate and some of the other revenues that we have, you know, we would we would be able to cover that muni and labor. And if you increase. don't get the real estate transfer tax, which is going to be difficult before the governor gets his vote on a graduated income tax because it hits the same people, you're going to have to go back to the property tax, right? Or maybe some other revenues. We did right. raise three hundred and fifty-two revenue, a million dollars of revenues in twenty twenty, and not disproportionately to any one source. Um, you know, one area that Susie mentioned is rationalizing our our fines and fees. Um, you know, other places might include um, just better uh, collections and um, projections on the existing revenue sources that we have. Uh, You've already done that. You've already jacked that revenue up, uh, and and we'll see if it comes through, but. I, th- I think I think throughout the course of if you don't get the year, graduated uh, real estate transfer tax, where do you go? Uh, we look internally first. We're going to look to efficiencies. One other area that um, that we have been taking a lot of time to uh, to put some implementation around is workers' compensation reform, settlements and judgments reform, and mm-hmm. overtime. The three of those areas generate around a half a billion dollars of cost for the city, and we know that there are efficiencies there. Um, and well, you're already budgeting some of them. We we are actually so you know our workers' comp remained flat. So you know I think you know. We're talking about revenue, but there's also a lot of work that we're doing on the expense side. As you know, personnel is a large portion of our expenses. Um, And so with the overtime, the absenteeism work, uh, the workers' comp, all of those things that we're also working in tandem, in addition to looking at all the revenue ideas, is to really work on our expenditures with our personnel, um, better managing that. And, you know, as you've probably heard the mayor speaking about, that is really important to her. It's a big initiative um, that we're really taking a strong look at over the next several months. And what about the teacher contract, a billion and a half dollars? That where is that money going to come from? So the teacher contract costs are actually about a hundred million dollar increase per year, which gets up to about five hundred and sixty million dollars by the end of the five years. A hundred million dollars a year on CPS's six billion dollar operating budget isn't something that's insurmountable for them. Um, the about 10% of those uh, uh, contract costs are going to be paid for by the state through the requirement that they pay normal costs on pensions. Um, in addition to that, CPS is taking a look at ways they can better utilize federal grant dollars um, and be more efficient about that. So some of those costs may not be gap increasing, but really just a more efficient use of existing dollars. And then again, $100 million on CPS's budget isn't insurmountable for them. They receive somewhere between 60 to $70 million a year in increased state funding uh, through the new educational funding formula. Um, and the combination of all of that makes it so that that, that, that um, uh, uh, cost increase is affordable to them. A number of the rating agencies have affirmed that and given our discussions with them, believe that it is something that they can afford. Will they have to... Uh, they're going to have to tax, obviously, the property tax to the limit, but will they have to ask for the, that that be raised or even go to possibly a referendum? Yep. Again, we're going to try to avoid property taxes as much as possible. Well, you and can't. I mean, they, every year 
they go to the max. Every year they go to the cap, which is based on inflation. That's nothing. That's not nothing. It's not nothing. But actually, if you look at the CPS tax rate and the city tax rate, despite the levy increases, the overall tax burden has actually come down. And so there are a number of levers into what uh, is a tax burden that a property taxpayer may feel. But the actual tax rate, both for CPS's tax levies and the city tax levies, has gone down, despite the fact that they have taxed the cap and increased in inflation. Okay, so is there a chance that you could possibly ask the voters of Chicago, which has never happened, to raise that cap for CPS? We're going to try very hard not to, and I don't expect that we'll have to ask them to raise that cap. Why not? I think that CPS is going to be able to afford the CTU contract and that they've had uh, put a lot of planning around how they might incorporate that in their out-year financials. Will they have to cut? Cut uh, internally, you mean? Yeah. Um, There's always... schools, all kinds of things. So not for the CTU contract. It's possible that there may be other needs to change how it is that uh, how it is that they operate internally, Um, but we're we don't expect that they'll have to cut for the CTU contract. Now uh, you budgeted two hundred and ten million dollars in savings from uh, refinancing uh, and taking it all up front. When will you do that refinancing? Um, right now, we're expecting to do the refinancing in early January. And uh, given where the market is, we think the number of savings will actually be in excess of the 210. Um, what so do you think it'll be? We're debility market dependent. Um, at this point, it is generating more. And anything more than 210 will put into the future fiscal years. And what do you think it could be? What's the what's the savings? What's it possible to be? It's hard to say. You know, really depends on the market. It'll be something meaningfully more than two ten. Um, but again, if the market changes, that could also change that number. At the very least, we know we'll make the two ten, um, and then we'll know within the next month or so exactly where we price. And you push back on the notion that the this budget is shaky, and that a lot of your assumptions may not come through. Uh, yes, I, I do push back on that. Um, you know, like Jenny said, we feel I feel strong. Um, positive. I feel good about our budget. Where's um, the ambulance the, fee? 163 million. You said it was coming, and it's, it hasn't it been It is here coming. Yet. Um, when? We have been Where? in constant communication with the state. Um, but it's the feds that have to do it. It is uh, a plan that we are working with the Center for Medicaid Services. Um, and again, it is a. We have submitted our plan for how the funds are going to flow. Uh, we know the funding is coming. So you know, again, I know what is the delay? Been asking for. It's just the review process. So, you know, we have been working closely with the state. Uh, Everyone's been in communication with CMS, and it's just going through the normal review process. It is, you know, no longer or shorter than what the normal review process is. So so we are just waiting for the approval. And President Trump isn't going to stand in the way because Mayor Lightfoot has been so critical of him? I do not see that. Again, we feel confident. You think uh, he has other fish to fry? I believe so, yes. <laughs> so Well, and, and so you are flat out saying that this budget is not going to need a mid-year correction. It will not. No. Famous last words? Because a lot of the aldermen really feel that way and that this whole thing is like smoke and mirrors going to fall apart. We're very confident in the budget. And the budget is a lot more transparent and has um, pulled aside all of the historical adjustments between funds that made it hard to really follow. Um, we've pulled all of that out of this budget. Um, you know, for example, pensions and debt service are incorporated in the main corporate fund budget. Um, there aren't a lot of these other adjustments back and forth that historically had been made it difficult to understand the true nature of the gap in the budget. Um, so I think that uh, we've done a lot of work in order to try to make sure that all of the costs are accurately reflected. But you have one-time revenues here. You scrape the mayonnaise jar as you put it on mm-hmm. the tips. That can't happen again. 
Well, there's always more scraping of the mayonnaise jar. Um, and well, at some point, the mayonnaise jar is empty. At some point, at some point, and I think that there's still more efficiencies for us to find. In TIFFs? Uh, potentially in TIFFs, but I think in a lot of other places. Because next year you have a hole where the TIFF money was. So there is one-time money in this budget. Um, we had over 60% of structural revenues. Uh, but importantly, the gap um, for next year um, and the out-year planning incorporates the fact that we did take some of that money up front this year and that, uh, that, 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 that in essence creates a runway for us for the future years to get to structural balance. One of the things that, um, you know, as it relates to financial policy and approaching budgeting is there's not really a way for us to increase revenues or decrease expenses by 800 138 million dollars in a responsible way all in one year you want to give the economy and the city time to be able to absorb some of the um, very large liabilities that um, we're trying to uh, address here um, in a way that um, that that is uh, measured and overall responsible and so that's why I think that having um, you know not uh, a lot of one source of uh, you know of the gap being closed by one solution is um, a, a, a more reasonable reasonable approach to that, and importantly, giving the city time to be able to get over what ultimately is a very large uh, pension ramp and also very large labor costs. Well, we could talk forever about city finances. We might put our audience to sleep, but, <laughs> but we could. <laughs> anyway, thank you both, and happy holidays. Thank, thank you. Happy you New too. Year. Happy New Year. Happy thank New you. Year. And we'll see you all next week. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.